Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom and as ever, I was joined on this show by directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond. We also had a very special guest join us, and that was David Richards, founder and CEO of Wandisco. We talked to him about the company's rather incredible journey, including how and why they operate in Sheffield and Silicon Valley. We also asked David about his new foundation, which aims to boost computer science in city schools. In the second half of the show, we go through some of the upcoming events and meetups in the city, before finishing with some goals for 2018. And I think that's it. Onwards with the show. I think you might like it. Okay, well, thanks for joining us, David. Appreciate you uh, coming in to see us. Um, we're going to talk about the foundation uh, in, in a bit, but um, if we could start with just a, a bit of background on, on Wandisco. Um, first of all, why did you set the company up um, and, and how, I guess? So uh, the story of Wandisco, first of all, it's great to be here uh, and it's always a pleasure to be in Sheffield, my home city. But Wandisco started in Silicon Valley. I moved to Silicon Valley in the late 90s, actually in the middle of the internet boom. And there were all kinds of wonderful, amazing things happening. You know, Yahoo and search companies and Google were starting up and it was, you know, there was so much venture capital uh, spilling around into various and sundry things. It was just an amazing place to be. A little bit like it is now, actually. It feels like a replay of what was happening in the late 90s then. Um, I uh, set up and sold a couple of companies uh, that were venture-backed. And in 2005, I met my chief scientist and co-founder, who's a guy called Dr. Dr. Yatura Alad. Dr. Alad is a complete genius, PhD in distributed computing. He actually gave up his job as the distributed systems architect at some microsystems, actually right in the middle of the internet boom when he could have probably made loads of cash uh, uh, staying at Sun. But he decided to leave and work on his passion, which is distributed computing. So he sat in his back garden with his laptop uh, in Silicon Valley and uh, worked on an extension of his PhD thesis. And I know that we've got a tech audience listening to this, so I can be a bit more technical, I suppose. So it was uh, he was building something called active-active WANscope data replication, which is, which is actually based on a distributed consensus algorithm that looks remarkably like what we call blockchains uh, today, actually. Maybe I'll talk about that later. Um, Sort of five years later, he'd solved that problem. And uh, what was really impressive to me is that it was based on 20 pages of hurried little mathematics. Now, normally what you see with a startup software company, and I'm sure that we all know that and a lot of your audience are going to know this as well, you get kind of two guys in a coffee pot together who get a startup company. They hack together via trial and error um, some source code, and they build an application or they build a product or they build a platform. They build something and they'd go and get that funded. In this case, it was sort of five years of the guy's life dedicated to building out a very complex mathematical solution. So the underpinnings of Wandisco are based on very complex uh, technology. And we decided to create a company around it. What was unusual about Wandisco in Silicon Valley is we decided to do it without uh, venture capital. The founder, I funded it basically. And we avoided um, having a venture capitalist because venture capital is kind of good and bad. It's good because you get great funding, but it's a little bit like credit card debt. You end up working, uh, you end up working for a creditor kind of thing, and I don't really like that. So we we set up we set up Wendisco. We said we're not going to go and get funding. So we actually did this amazing thing of selling the product to customers. Now we were very lucky because we had sort of a five year lead on R and D that allowed to given up his life. In order, to, in order to do that. So when we actually listed the business on the London Stock Exchange in 2012, 
Um, it was 100% owned by all of the employees, <clears throat> including employees in, in Sheffield. And just before um, sort of we listed the business in 2012, we opened our office up here in Sheffield. And we, it was, I think it was quite surprising to the local authority here because normally what you tend to see, what, what you saw certainly back then were, you know, American companies or international companies maybe coming to Sheffield and setting up a, uh, I don't know, a call center or something like that without creating real tech jobs. So, because I'm partially because I'm from here, of course, I realized that there are some pretty smart people in the city. So we created real jobs. We created, you know, one of our chief architects who's been with the business for a long time and listens to this podcast actually. Uh, Owen is, is is based here, has worked for the company for, presume, almost nine, eight, nine years. Um, you'll probably correct me on this at, at, at this point. So real jobs uh, were created in the city, and that was actually the secret of our expansion. It, it meant that we could expand the company because it was very hard and still is very hard to hire people in um, in Silicon Valley. You know, there's competition from Google and Facebook and all kinds of uh, different companies. So... We decided to move uh, half of our operations to uh, to the UK and to Sheffield, and it I can tell you caused a few raised eyebrows when we did that. It still does cause some raised eyebrows. I mean, I was on the phone this morning to an investor in London, and I said, "He said we're about to I said Sheffield," and he went, "Oh, that sounds romantic," and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> please. <laughs> so that was the sort of beginnings beginnings of the of of, of the company, um, and it was a story really about some. Uh, complex technology that was morphed into a company that then grew and then really set itself up for an IPO. Great. And and, and what's changed as, uh, as what's the kind of, how's the company developed as what's going to be the biggest well, change? Well, we, <clears throat> we, came, we came to market in 2012 uh, when we could see uh, an inflection point in, uh, in the way that businesses were going to work, right? Because sort of, the concept of having uh, uh, data underpinning almost every business now is a kind of an obvious thing. We think about Amazon. We thought about the you know the Tesco Club Card and and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's now fair to say that virtually every business is is a data business, and that means that those businesses would be run or underpinned by vast quantities of data. Now our theory was that. Um, that if, if if every single business needed to become a data business, then you couldn't use existing storage arrays, you couldn't use existing storage technology that you would have to move really to commoditized hardware, running open source software. That was our theory at the time. Now, of course, we know that cloud computing and hyperscale infrastructure and cloud, elastic infrastructure and cloud is actually taking the place of some of the on-premise systems. But that, that was our theory. So we said, okay, so what role does... Um, uh, Wandisco, or what role did we think Wandisco would have to play in this in this new market, in this new economy? And it's really simple. You can distill down why investors or why people buy Wandisco into a really simple concept, which is in a in a world of gigabyte scale data, um, you can kind of get away, which is small data, you can get away with a small outage of say sub 15 minutes. And most financial service companies, banking applications can kind of get away with that. But it turns out that that outage is linear to the quantity of data. So now we're talking about petabyte, terabyte, exabyte scale data, data sets that are maybe a thousand or a million times greater than they were using in the past. And it turns out that you can't use that existing technology that you used today, which is kind of based on batch or time-based replication, where you take a snapshot of the data and then you move it somewhere else. So in the case of Wandisco, we don't do any of that. 
So we don't have um, we don't have the concept of time. Time is irrelevant with our replication scheme, and we're based loosely on it was basically a distributed uh, Paxos uh, consensus algorithm that is transactional. So as things are changing. We keep a global sequence of all of those changes. And the net net of that means that you don't need to take a snapshot of data. It's transactional. So we have, you know, customers now that are using us for massive <clears throat> transaction throughput, you know, probably the world's largest bank, largest retailer are using us that are processing millions of transactions per second and replicating those transactions into various and sundry locations. The other big change that I alluded to is that companies are moving to cloud. So how does Amazon Web Services get large quantities of existing data to the cloud? So it's, it's okay for, I don't know, Airbnb and Tinder and all those companies. They, were prob they probably exist because of the cloud, because at ever-increasing lower marginal cost, you can set up hyperscale infrastructure, elastic infrastructure, use as much or as little as you want on demand. At, at a ridiculously low cost. But what about companies you know, like banks and healthcare companies, retailers, that have massive quantities of data on premises, but they want to move it to the cloud? Well, Amazon have a product called Snowball that you may or may not be familiar with, which is basically, you're not going to believe this, but it's a, a server, a ruggedized hard drive, essentially, that they send through the mail to you. So if they FedEx it, and literally, it's, it's, you know, we're dealing with physics here, the, the, the speed of light and so on. They send, you, um, they send you a ruggedized hard drive through the mail, you pour your data onto it, and then you send it back to them. They also have, uh, and they, they uh, demoed this at their AWS conference in Vegas a couple of years ago, and I stood there, I couldn't believe this. They have a snowmobile which is a truck with a 20 petabyte data center on the back of it that they pull outside the front of your data center, you connect the fiber channel into it, and you know it takes about six months to load 20 petabytes of data, and then <coughs> off goes the truck. But if you think about it, that's great for archival data, for data that you're never going to touch or use or mm. whatever. But what about if it's transactional data? What if it's stuff that, like a trading system, for example, or an EPOS system, stuff that you actually need to use? You can't press pause. Uh, mail the data and then press play again or drive the data up and then six months later press play again. Well, you can't be without a system for six months. But Wandisk actually solves that problem. So we're working with, we've disclosed that we're working with Amazon and Microsoft and Alibaba on their physical data movement devices because we can run in, in a disconnected mode. So you can still continue to use the product, continue to use the applications even while the data is in transit because we self-heal when it arrives at the cloud. So that's really exciting. So cloud, the concept of hybrid cloud, are really important trends uh, that I think this year we'll see a number of new customers and projects that we're undertaking using that technology. So, so who are your direct competitors then? Well, that's a, this is a question I get asked all the time by investors, right? So it's either you either do um, batch-based replication or you do uh, or nothing, right? Or it's us. Or so, re real time at a much smaller scale than you do. Yes, it, it's in relational databases in gigabyte scale data. It's you know companies like Golden Gate, which uh, Oracle acquired. They kind of have solved that problem. But if if it's if it's in large scale data sets, you know people used to used to get over latency by building data centers that were fifty miles apart yeah. to use a metropolitan LAN. Well, you can't really do that with the cloud, right? And you can't really do that with exabyte scale data. So we did an evaluation. We announced a I don't know four four and a half million dollar deal uh, last week, um, and the and an investor said to me, a lot, every investor said, okay. Who were you up against? And it's like we weren't up against. We were up against doing nothing, 
right? It, we were we were up against nothing because they were just evaluating our technology to make sure that it worked, and that was that was really it. Right. So when this is going to become very valuable for acquisition, presumably. Um, well, th- we're a public com- we're a public company. We've got I don't know three hundred or four hundred million dollar market cap. I, we're, we're sort of trying to build a big company, right? So it's we're, we're OEM'd into, into IBM. We've got a product called IBM Big Replicate, which is okay. one disco's technology. We're OEM'd into, into uh, Microsoft, Oracle, um, Amazon, uh, and so on. And we just announced the deal with Dell EMC. So we kind of have got our go-to-market sorted out. So M&A is not really... Um, on the agenda, we're we're more focused. We just raised twenty two million dollars. Um, that was six times oversubscribed on the market about a month ago. So we're we're in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. Nice. And what role does the Sheffield office play in your continued expansion? Um, so all the cloud uh, integrations are actually done from our Sheffield office. So they routinely have uh, teams from Amazon that come to work uh, with the guys over here. So they, they get Amazon Web Services lead architects and engineers um, coming to the office. They also manage a team of uh, 25, 30 Indian uh, developers that that recently developed uh, um, some new products for us, our S3 interface. So it's core development work happens here. Also, all of our support happens from Sheffield. So, so Yorkshire people are incredibly good at doing support, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's um, I don't... Well, I, I, I sort of do know why. It's the sort of honesty and hard work and all the good Yorkshire ethics uh, that us Yorkshiremen have. But it's just the feedback from our support organisation is just amazingly good. So even we would never move it from here because you would never, ever, ever be able to to replicate what we can, what our support team can actually do here. It is just amazing. Great. Well, um, I mean, that's a fantastic intro to... Uh to the foundation as well. So this is something that's just starting up. Where are you, where are you at with this? So it's the, the, the foundation is to improve uh, computer skills or digital skills um, in, in schools specifically. So yes, the, the, so, so with the, the foundation, so it's incredibly complex, first of all, to, to donate money, right? It's the, the world makes it really hard to do, which is, which is a bit silly, really. So um, I'm a US resident and I've lived in the US, as I mentioned, since the, since the 90s. I've been there for 20 years. I'm actually a US citizen as well, a dual citizen, both US and UK, especially with Trump as president. You can't say that you're a US citizen totally, actually. Um, so we, um, so we, we set up a family foundation in the in the US and then had to set up a subsidiary to that in the UK to do what we really wanted to do, which was empowerment of children through education. So that's that's really a really big deal uh, for me personally and for my family. So we believe that everybody should be given an equal chance, and the way that you give everybody an equal chance is 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 via education programs. What really sort of concerns me is a world of which Wandisco is playing a major role in is moving towards automation. So we we have um, a, ma- a major motor vehicle company um, in, in China, for example, that are using uh, a US motor vehicle company that are using us in China for uh, self-driving cars. Now, I know that we will have self-dri- self-driving cars. That's very, very close. I know that artificial intelligence and robots and most of the, most of the world's sort of manual 
jobs and some white collar jobs like you know the, the law legal profession will be automated. We'll, we will have AI robots, either physical or, or software based robots that are able to do many of those sort of mundane uh, jobs. So many of the many of the jobs in the economy will change. They won't necessarily all go away, but they will undoubtedly change. And the, the concern for me is that the education system is sort of was designed a hundred years ago when we had an empire, right? When there was this thing concept of British empires. So if you think about it, from a US perspective, looking in at the UK now, which is where I'm looking at this from, the idea of that you can leave school at 16 is just totally bizarre to me. The idea that you, at the age of 14, ask children to pick subjects is just so weird. It's, I mean, when I was 14 and I was asked to choose, they were called O-levels back then, which O-levels or GCSEs that you wanted to specialize in was just so ridiculous. So in the US, you do general education until you're 18. And actually, my son's just gone to university and he will continue to do uh, general ed for, for the next two years until he begins to specialize and figure out which subject he wants to major in when he's at um, when he's at uni- while he's at university. I remember thinking it was ridiculous at the time. Stupid. It's it was always di- been ridiculous. I, I can remember thinking I'd quite like to do both of those things. Yeah. So imagine imagine how many people we lose from the economy who have computer skills, mm. right? At the age of sixteen, because they they opt out of mathematics because they because and you know guess what it's it's you know demographically it's we lose a lot of women from from the tech economy which is absolutely preposterous to me. So obviously I can't tackle that problem right. The the, the government really needs to whichever government whichever party needs to figure that out and they need to do it pretty quickly actually. Um, but I can't do that. But what I can do is change the way that computer science or computing is taught in schools. I can have a go at doing that. So we had some friends that came over and uh, their daughter had just finished her GCSEs. And I was in my back garden enjoying a glass of wine and um, with them. And I, I said, what was, on the, what was on the syllabus? And she said, it was, oh, it's so boring. It was like the components of a printer. <laughs> I mean, I just, <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> What use is that? Seriously, I mean, it's 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 of no use at all. And I find that I found it very very frustrating. I said, okay, right, that's it. I've had enough. So, what you have to do to teach something is to change the way in which you change the mission of, of the exercise. So, I fi- I figured out, okay, so what are a lot of people interested in? They're interested in what they're interested in, which is, you know, a lot of people are interested in football, soccer, right? As I call it now. So. How about then? I then I discovered that um, that the University of Salford had developed an algorithm um, that could predict the outcome of, of soccer games, right? And that teaches all kinds of interesting skills. While they were doing that, it teaches uh, complex quantitative analysis, big data sets, cloud computing. In fact, all of the things that you might need, the skills that one might need to participate in the future economy. So, if you match that together with an education program, I think that sounds pretty good. So we're going to come up with a syllabus. I'm actually going to start doing this at my the school that I went to because I know the school, right? It's that's all there is to it and there's it's an, it's part of an academy system of four or five schools and they've been very generous in 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 letting us um, prototype there. I think it would be really good for the kids actually. I think the sign up has been very strong. I think somebody told me that every single kid wants to in the in the year that we that we're going to select is wants to participate in this class. And the, pe- and the person that wrote the algorithm is going to come and teach it. So 
What's really cool about that is the exact same skills that you would use to predict the outcome of a soccer match might be to predict cancers, right? To predict a cure for cancer, to predict healthcare outcomes. Mm -hmm. And that those using predictive calculus and other things which they don't even know that they're learning when they're doing this because they have an objective to figure out which soccer team's going to win, um, I think is, is interesting. And we're going to make sure that the end of that course, the end of that class, that they actually learn those skills. And that's that's and if we can do that and then we can so we we prototype it there and then we turn that into a product or a program that we can then roll out to every single school. And I've started out by donating uh, you know, a million dollars or so, which actually came through stock that I didn't want to sell that I had to sell because we were doing a placing that required me to sell some shares. So I didn't want it particularly. And there's something really odd in the UK. There isn't really a, um, this idea of, uh, of giving back to the degree that I think, particularly among tech entrepreneurs, and we have too much respect for people that drive around in really fast cars and live in 15 different houses and all that other nonsense that, that people want to do. You can only actually live in one house. You can only ever drive one car. Why on earth? Or, or why on earth people want to do that or even worse, buying a football club? I mean, come on. <laughs> so I have no respect for that. I, th I, I wish that people wouldn't do that. I wish that they would actually have this culture of giving. And I would rather, I, another mission of mine might be to guilt those people into doing what I've just done. Because I've just done it in a relatively small way. I mean, I'll undoubtedly be giving a lot more over the course of time. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important. I mean, this is in the US very common. I mean, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, for example, a completely different scale to me, have given away half of their half of their wealth. Um, I know that uh, Zuckerberg Facebook is doing the same thing, but I've got a whole host of friends, all of whom do this. Um, but I, I know not of one. I know there are some in the UK, but I don't know anybody personally that has, that has done this. And I think it's, it's hard to do because you've got to set up a foundation and, you know, that requires legal work and, you know, asking people to do things that are not very common is hard, but this should become more common. Mm -hmm. And is it, sorry, Marcus, is the, is the long-term plan to expand beyond Sheffield, I presume, but it's, I mean, it's great that it starts here. <laughs> hand, yeah, it's, well, it's, 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 we've got our office here, got people here, got people that can eat, that in the company that will be really good uh, teachers. We, we already do a bunch of work with, uh, with Sheffield Hallam University. Um, I'm gonna go and teach an entrepreneurship class at the, at the university, which I'm really looking forward to. My CFO is gonna come and teach accounting. My, I'm, forcing my investment bank, um, the Stiefel guys, to come and teach um, how you do an IPO and things. Like, so I'm, So it's not just actually in, in, in high schools. I'm also keen in the, in, in the uh, university market as well to kind of, and that Sheffield Hallam have been very good in terms of looking at different ways that they can teach entrepreneurship in, in their classes because it's, you can't, you not, a non-entrepreneur can't teach entrepreneurship. It's just not possible because um, there is there are too many there are too many things that are sort of hidden that you need to know. At Stanford are very good at doing this. When Stanford teach a class, they get somebody like Mark Andreessen, who teaches a who's a professor that goes and teaches at Stanford. So we're going to do some stuff at Sheffield Hallam as well. So coming back to the work that you're doing in schools, what kind of age range is that aimed at? So we're going to start with ninth grade, um, but my feeling is that for this to be useful, it's probably 13 to 14-year-olds, and you could potentially go all the way up um, to to A-level um, as sort of an, an additional subject. I know that people have got to do A-levels because that's the way that the education system works over here at the moment. 
but um, but I'd like to think we could do it, you know, all the way up to uh, school leavers, actually. So one of the things that Chris and I were talking about earlier today was that it's not just about giving the kids a positive learning experience within school. It's also about the people around them and influencing them so that they understand what a career in tech is actually about and what the opportunities are. So are you thinking about that broader picture or are you just really focused on curriculum stuff? No, I, th- I think that's a very good point. I mean, I went to speak to the um, to the sixth form, the upper sixth form, uh, children at the school and I asked how many people are going to go and study computer science and not one of them <laughs> and that's kind of crazy right when most of the jobs most of the good jobs in the economy are actually going to be in that field why is nobody studying that and I said and I said to them okay what do you think we hire graduates for in the US now when we hire graduates in the US they've already got experience they can already hit the ground running and that's it's, it's a slight problem here because graduates do not leave universities with deep programming skills, they're not contributing to open source projects and so on and so forth. Um, And they sort of said, you know, 20,000 or something. Well, the average salary that we have to hire at, I have to tell you, in in Silicon Valley is kind of $100,000, $250,000. They're enormous salaries to obviously somebody in the in the sixth form but and that, that's I know that's in the US and that's that's in a different market where things are a lot more expensive uh, house prices are really high for example in Silicon Valley but that I, th- I think it's important that that information goes out to to, mm. to children so even here I mean I think according to Tech Nation last year average salaries for tech jobs in I mean not starting salaries but average salaries are still so 46,000 yeah that, that that's I mean it's it's pretty obvious that if 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 you accept that the economy is going to be automated, the people that automate it are going to get paid more money than (laughs) than the rest, right? And you touched earlier on the issue of um, girls and and women, Mm -hmm. that there aren't enough of them in tech and that we're losing them too early on. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you're addressing through your curriculum? Well, both both through curriculum and the company. So I I was sat in a restaurant and my wife, I said, we're really good at, you know, we really promote women in tech. And she said, okay, what's your maternity leave policy? And I didn't know, right? And then I went to find out. And um, it turns out that we're really bad at at, um, at not just, uh, we were actually really good in relative to everybody else, but um, that in general, employers aren't very good at at letting women go and have babies, which is, you know, stupid really. Um, So we overhauled our maternity leave policy and we said, okay, we, we want to be better than the best because nobody is going to do that to their body, right? Oh, I know, they've got a really good maternity leave policy. Let me go and have a baby. Oh, my God. You know, nobody's ever going to do that. So we, we overhauled it, and we, um, I think we allow up to a year of paid maternity leave, depending on tenure, but it's certainly six months to a year. It's not, you know, what whatever the statutory amount is. I don't even know what that is, probably two months or something. So we, we allow between six months six months and a year. And then the, 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 the foundation is, has to be all-encompassing. So at the moment, the, the programme is soccer. I, th- I think there are just as many females, males that, that like soccer the last time I checked. I know demographically, historically, that maybe it was... It was so we're looking for another programme um, to go alongside that, and there are lots of ideas there. Um, so I, I want to test that out, first of all. We're still in the prototyping phase. If we find out that, you know, it's 90% 
boys and 10% girls, and then we'd have a problem. We'd have to we'd have to redesign the program. But at the moment, um, I certainly think that 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 it's supposed to be all inclusive. So mm. I would hope. Yeah, of course, soccer is a much more female-oriented sport in America yeah, than it is here. It is. It, 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 I, and actually, the the um, I mean, my daughter's not a bad soccer player. Yeah. Yeah. So just coming back to this point, I mean, you know, maternity leave is is part of it, and that's a really important thing. And there's paternity leave on the other side of that is mm-hmm. making sure that the the other partner in the relationship can be supportive as well. Absolutely. But there's there's also the issue around how young women or women looking return to work perceive a job in tech and what that might be like and what the culture and the environment might, environment might be like and how you get ahead in that sort of career. Is that something that your company looks at, is conscious of? Very much so. So in the um, in the in the Sheffield office, for example, we have a we have a thing called a social captain. And the social captain organizes events. So if you don't do that, it becomes like a you know, a boys drinking club or, you know, they all go down to the to a pub and, you know, it's not very appetizing for most people. So the social captain uh, gets you know, they sort of have a I don't know, an unofficial vote, I suppose, is one way of looking at it. And um, they go out and uh, do various and sundry events that are that are supposed to bring everybody together. And the social captain, I believe, has, I think we've had more, more females and males doing that, which is, which is quite, which is quite, which is quite surprising, was quite surprising for me and also quite, quite good, actually. So I, I, I think we we don't have to use positive encouragement because the culture is just not like that. It, it's we, 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 our culture is designed to be entrepreneurial, and if you want to do something, then you can kind of go and do it. People work as part of a team, and that's that that team culture is really important for us. And we're you know we we strive to be a, an amazing place to work. I mean, it's certainly not you know the sort of the old-fashioned model of and um, we have we have you know we've promoted people on based on um, on a meritocracy not based on sex or anything else I mean we, the, the, we just lost somebody to um, to maternity leave um, and you know when she comes back I'm, sh- I'm sure that she'll <laughs> progress in the organization at just the same speed as if as if that wasn't the case. Mm. Excellent. If I can just come back to the foundation a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, what's kind of your long-term vision for it? I, you've, you've talked about what you're doing in the short term and immediately and the things you want to make happen, but, but what about the long term? So I want to affect change on the education system because, as I said, going back to what I said, I've got a theory that the education system was designed 100 years ago to serve an economy that was based around an empire. So you needed people to leave school at sort of 14, 16 to do sort of manual jobs, 18 to do slightly more managerial jobs, and 21, if you go to Oxbridge, then you're going to run the country. That's completely, totally changed. And actually, um, Chris, one of the, one of the, one of the trustees, uh, went to advise um, uh, Deutsche Bank, I think it was, and went to look at their sort of trading department. And uh, they were having difficulty uh, hiring uh, hiring traders and, and when they went to he said okay who's your best trader and it was this one particular guy who had all the right skills but didn't didn't have a degree and it turns out what they were doing was hiring 
only graduates. And by only hiring graduates, they were hiring managers. So they were, they were hiring the one in a thousand person, but they weren't hiring people that could actually that could actually do the job. So it's a lot of a lot of graduates sort of leave and then become very disillusioned that they're not going to suddenly walk into a you know seventy five thousand pounds managerial career job or something. But that so I want to affect change on the education system that actually gives people skills that they will need in the longer term for an economy that is in the middle of a huge change. And that really that really scares me. So I can't sit on the sidelines and just only complain about how poor the education system is. I have to affect a change. The only way to do that is with positive action. And I personally see this as positive action. Mm. And you mentioned when we were setting up earlier before we started recording the names of a couple of people who are going to be involved with the foundation. Are you able to share that with the audience? Yeah, at I can this ju- point? share one of, one of them, um, which is uh, Professor Chris Brady. Chris Brady is famous for writing. Um, a number of books like The 90 Minute Manager, where he looked at the skills that soccer managers have and how they could be translated into, into business, which is it's a really great read, actually. Um, and he's done a whole bunch of research projects associated with education. He teaches an MBA uh, via a film, which, I mean, is just brilliant, right? It's, he thinks that pe- not everybody really wants to read, but people can still consume information in a very different way. The way in which we now consume information you know, it's completely different. I mean, if you think about why we think that that, that some universities are better than others, it, it's such a dated concept, right? So why is, why is Oxbridge perceived to be such a brilliant place to go to university? Well, if you ignore uh, everything else, it's actually because they had the best library. Because you go to university really to get information. And if the only place you could get the information was at Oxford or Cambridge, because they got all the books, then that seems like a sensible idea. But there's a thing called the internet now, and we share information all the time and information is ubiquitous right we can get access to it absolutely anywhere so if you think about it then the idea of what is a good university and a bad university has completely changed and yet we don't that's not it's not perceived to be the case we still have this undue if you go to oxbridge then oh my god you know obviously you're a genius well not necessarily that's not necessarily the case because that information that you get that you used to be only be able to get there sort of 50 100 years ago has now been completely disrupted by the internet. And this, you know, now we have MOOCs and all kinds of different methods of getting that information. I mean, my God, can you imagine if the internet was available when I went to university? Mm-hmm. It would have made my life a whole lot easier because I inf- wouldn't have to camp outside the library to get the one book that had the piece of data that you needed. You know, now that information is ubiquitously available. And we just have to accept that that change has happened. And it seems obvious when, when, you, when you kind of hear that but um, but he's an interesting character because he, he's one of the few people that I've come across that not only believes that but has also effected that change and the idea of using uh, predictive soccer algorithms to teach some of those methods was from him that was his project that he did at the University of Salford I met him the other evening um, and over a, over a cup of tea he just blew my mind away with some, some of the ideas. You should definitely get him onto this podcast, by the way. He's a fascinating bloke. And we'll get you to introduce us <laughs> yeah, then and we'll get do. that organised. That'd be great. Um, I think that's it. Thank you uh, so much for giving us speak to us. That was really interesting. Yeah, maybe just to say that, you know, we're we're absolutely... It's great that you're doing this here and Sheffield Digital will su- help and support and promote what you're doing as much as we can. Yeah, yeah I mean, I should point out that we are looking um, for a sort of part-time... Ideally, somebody that's been in the education system 
as an administrator to help to, well, the, well to basically manage the foundation for us here in the UK, and because obviously my family are based in the um, in California, so somebody that could help us to um, to promote and to manage the foundation and liaise with the school schools mm -hmm. that that are going to be will be working with would be would be wonderful. And Wandesco, of course, wants to hire great talent and tech people here in the city too. So thank you. It's been it's always a pleasure to come to Sheffield. Marvelous. Thank you. Thanks. Right, so we've got some uh, some news and uh, and some events to tell you about. Um, first of all, Mel, could you give us some more information about uh, Sheffield College and what they've been up to with Sheffield's digital employers? So there's a new blog post up on the Sheffield Digital website that's an update on where we're at with the work with Sheffield College on the digital apprenticeships that they want to do, which is a software developer level four apprenticeship. Um, we're going to be running another briefing event in early February. I'm very keen for some more companies to get involved. We've already got a good cross-section. But if there are any more companies who think they might like to work alongside the college to make these apprenticeships really, really good, please have a look at the blog post and then get in touch with me and I'll make sure you get invited to the briefing. Marvellous. Um and um, what's the next update? It's about company profiles. So one of the things that we did in the second half of last year, I guess, when I came on board, is we've upped the amount of content that we put out, especially on the blog. Um, one of the things that we want to do in 2018 is to do more company profiles. So we've published one this week, which is um, about Tripad, who make a recruitment software, really, really successful, doing really well, got lots of plans for... Um, 2018 and beyond so um, we're going to be doing more of those and we're going to be focusing on our members which makes sense first anything else to add about that no <laughs> oh, maybe just to say that um, no creative sheffield are looking for some spotlights as well so yeah if anyone wants to do a spotlight or have an oh, article written yeah. about them, they can get in touch with Sarah Lowy-Jones or let us know. Thanks for reminding me, Chris. So um, Creative Sheffield are working on a brochure to highlight the oh, digital sector in Sheffield as a tool to use when they're attracting other companies to the city. Um, and they want to profile a really good cross-section of businesses. So um, if you'd like to be put in touch with Creative Sheffield, you can do that through me or through Chris and... Uh, they just want a paragraph, I think, mm -hmm. um, to go into the brochure. Yeah, actually, while we're on the subject, um, Sheffield Hallam are also doing um, a thing to attract and retain students here by highlighting uh, the tech sector and creative mm. digital sector. Um, so I'm waiting for some copy, and there'll be a blog post about that sometime in the next couple of weeks on that programme. Okay, fantastic. Everyone's being profiled. Mm -hmm. um, okay, um, let's. Uh, we're going to talk about our... our our personal hopes for 2018. But before we do that, should we go through the events? That feels like a good thing to end on, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, all right, so these are... Um, this is a list of uh, uh, events and meetups that are happening in the city over the next month, up until the start of February. Um, so the first one is uh, on the 18th, which is uh, the Equal Experts uh, event. And so that's going to be about, um, well, the title is Making Distributed Delivery Work and Product Thinking, The Art of Solving Problems. So that's um, kind of another one in, in those series of talks. Um, on the 19th, we have uh, Frontend North 2018. 
Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Last year's was awesome, so. Yeah. Yeah, if you're, if you're in the least bit front-endy or front-end inclined, you should definitely get down to that. Mm -hmm. And there's um, a discount code for tickets, which is, oh, you'll find it on our Twitter account. That's the easiest way. Mm -hmm. I don't remember either. <laughs> it's in, it was in Slack as well. Yes, and it's in Slack. You can tell it's the beginning of the year. We're not quite as organised as we should be. But it's a little adventure, isn't it, to go and try and, <laughs> to try and find that, uh, that code. <laughs> Um, and there, there are tickets still uh, available for that, as far as I know. And the speaker mm -hmm. lineup uh, looks really good. And yeah, that's at the, the City Hall. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, Front End North 2018, that's on the 19th of January. Then we have the AWRC Winter Networking Meeting on the 23rd. So I would say if you want to go and find out what they're actually doing at the Advanced Wellbeing Research Centre, which is Sheffield Hallam's. Um, baby out in the at the Olympic Legacy Park or will be when it opens but it's an opportunity going to the networking meeting is an opportunity to find out about the kinds of things they're working on because they do really amazing stuff with sports technology and using tech to help athletes improve their performance um, they'll also be doing stuff in health generally um, so if you're interested in tech's application to health slash sport slash well-being, just go along and see who you might meet. Okay, sounds good. Um, on the 24th of uh, January, it's the first of three open days that the Home Office digital uh, team are, are running um, in Sheffield. Uh, this first one is the user research, uh, for the user research internship program. So these are all uh, about internships. They look really interesting. Um, and that's the first one, so you can find out more about that. Well, you can find out more in the show notes. So all of this, all of these events will be in the show notes for this episode, which you can find on the Sheffield Digital website. Um, and then on the also on the 24th is the second Riverside Games Night, which is um, uh, run by uh, Sumo Digital. Bungalow, bungalows and Bears. At Bungalows and Bears, yep, the first one went really well. Um, uh, I don't know if they are still looking for game developers to showcase their game, but I suspect that they would not be upset if you wanted to do that. Um, so uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, uh, we haven't been, but it's an event for gamers by gamers. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? So mm -hmm. showcasing some games, but also just going and playing games and meeting people in the community. Um, 25th of, the, uh, of January. Um, it's the it's the meetup mashup. Chris, do you, do you know about the meetup mashup? It's quite, uh, it's quite satisfying to say that. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. So it's uh, Agile Sheffield and Sheffield DevOps are doing a joint meetup, and they've called it the meetup mashup. Um, and it's, it should be a bigger event. I mean, both of those meetups are well established and get a lot of people. So I think they're looking up, you know, towards hundred people yeah. to be there, and it looks like a great lineup. So mm -hmm. that's going to be down at the workstation. Yeah, I think so. Uh, great, and on the same day, the 25th, um, it is the first meetup of a new meetup. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, Front End Sheffield. Um, and I know a couple of the people who've been involved in setting it up, so it should be marvellous. Um, again, if you want to find out more about that, then we'll put some uh, put a link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's the, the intention is for it to alternate with um, JS Sheffield. So it's, it's Front End one month and JavaScript the next month. Is that, no, I think idea. that's the idea. Okay, didn't know that. 
good information. Correct me if I'm wrong, I might totally have got the wrong end of the stick, but I think I saw that. <laughs> I'm sure someone will. Um, on the 30th, uh, we're nearly there. On the 30th, it's the, the second open day from the Home Office, and this one is going to be about uh, digital interaction. So uh, that's on the 1st, Ian? On oh. the 30th? Oh, no, God, you're right, you're right. You'll have to edit me out. I'm going to leave you in. <laughs> no, don't leave me in. I'm so embarrassed. We're just doing Ian too many absolutely events. absolutely right. There are two open days, one yeah. on the 30th and one on the 1st of February. I knew that. Um, and then, uh, so that's so the th on the 30th, it's the uh, Digital Interaction Design uh, open day. Um, and on the 1st of February, it's the it's about content design. Um, all of which looks great. Um, so yeah, check check all of those out. Um, and then squeezed in between those two is the, uh, UX Sheffield, which is on the 30th of uh, January 2. And uh, this month, it's a monthly UX Sheffield. Ish, uh, every two months-ish. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's about uh, UX psychology and the power of 100, mm -hmm. which um, sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. Just one other thing, well, actually, it'll be in February, but we've got a date for the next March Sheffield. Um, which is going to be Monday the 12th okay. of February. Yeah. Great. Um, okay, let's go back to our hopes and dreams for, for 2018. I've thrown dreams in there as well. I don't know how they differ to hopes, but <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll throw them in anyway. I'm not going to talk about my dreams on this podcast, sorry. <laughs> yeah, likewise. <laughs> um, I might. You never know how it's going to go. <laughs> um, Ian. Yes, so... Please don't. <laughs> so we're about to have a, a, um, a very important meeting for uh, uh, the uh, Sheffield Digital Board reviewing all of Sheffield Digital's activities, kind of an annual get-together um, to try and make plans and, and, uh, and make decisions. Um, so first of all, we want to say any inputs from uh, listeners to the show, but the wider Sheffield Digital community, if you, uh, if you know followers on Twitter or you're part of the Slack community, we'd like as much uh, input as possible. We had the survey that we did in, I think it was November, so the results of that were really useful and have already in, informed some of uh, our thinking and decisions. Um, uh, so yeah, get in touch. You can, I guess, just email info at sheffield.digital. Mm -hmm. um, get in touch in all the usual ways. Uh, but we thought we would um, sort of end this episode with uh, our Top three hopes for 2018. And as I've just said that, I realise I've only got two, so I'm going to have to quickly think of another one. Uh, Mel, you're going to go first, mainly because you're the first in this document in front of me. I should always come first. Um, so my top three hopes for 2018. First of all, I want to find a way to really join up all the digital skills activity in the city and identify by where the gaps are and figure out ways to fill those in so that we can really say in Sheffield that we've got an approach to the digital talent pipeline sorted out. Um, and the conversation we've had with David from Wandisco is, you know, will play a, a role in that, but there's a load of other stuff that either is going on or should going on. And I really want to see that working better in 2018. Uh, my second fervent hope is that we see at least one proper tech hub open. God forbid at least one, if not five. Um, and by proper tech hub, I mean a building where there's co-working space and a cafe and meeting space, and it's open from a decent time in the morning till a decent time in the evening, and there's office space, and there's grow-on space, and we finally have a focal point for the tech in the city centre. 
And my third thing is I want to get a group going for women in tech, either a group or a program of activity. Um, I've been speaking to lots of women in the city about this. Lots of people are on board to help. And I'm hoping to get that something kicked off in February, at least to start the conversation about what should that group do and how are we going to make it work. So if you want to help with that, please let me know. Very good. Right. I guess me next, is it? Uh, so my first hope is to get um, Sheffield higher up in the Tech Nation report and the Huawei um, Smart Index, Smart Cities Index. Um, so I'm presuming the Tech Nation report is going to happen this year. Usually it kicks off towards the end of the previous year and is released sometime in February or early March. But I actually just heard today that the survey will be going out on Monday. Oh, okay. So by the time you hear this podcast, cool. the survey will be out there. So you need to complete it, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we had like 120 responses. I think it was... It, we had over 80 two years ago, 120 last year. So the, the more responses we get, the more information, um, the higher up we'll, we'll get. Um, but also I want to see some step changes in some of the figures. So, you know, startup births, GVA, those kind of things. Um, obviously, I guess it's delayed because of the Tech Nation stuff and the politics that have been going on around with that and the fact there was an election spontaneously last year um but there's that and um we slipped from 10th to 16th in the smart city index um but that's largely because there wasn't that much visibility of stuff and there's going to be a lot more visibility this year so it's kind of an 18 month gap between huawei smart city reports so far so uh but if they if one if they do another one this year then i want to see an improvement in that um uh, and I, I want also, you know, as part of that, I want to see more external investment and funding. So city stakeholders pulling in, um, in you know, more funding investment around skills and infrastructure and workspaces. Um, secondly, I want to see more events and meetups and um, better ways of promoting and supporting the meetups. So I want, I want to continue with the Meta Meetup um, program um, and do more to promote all the events that are going on and bring more people in to that. Um, and thirdly, I want, we had, you know, our, our digital conference last year, which was an alpha version. I want it to be a bigger beta version this year. I want um, the digital coalition to really get traction in the city uh, around digital development across all the all the domains and dot chef to have a website and for, you know, our annual conference to be the Dot Chef conference and for that to be a much bigger affair. We've already had a few initial conversations with the council about it. Uh, we're looking for a summer conference this year, um, either beginning of the summer or kind of beginning of September or something. Um, we'll have to see how it how it pans out, but we want it, you know, we want it a bit earlier than, than the November one we had last year, but that would be, that would be, Great. Those would be my top three. Okay, I'll have a go too then. Um, the first thing I've written down is that I'd like the Sheffield Digital Podcast to become the most popular podcast in the whole world. <laughs> the world. The world, which which might be ambitious. Um, we love ambition. <laughs> but um, uh, but we get lots of nice feedback. We get people say nice things about about the show. We're still kind of um, finding our way because you know it's only eight episodes, but I do think it's a uh, it has lots of potential. So I will continue to try and. Uh, yeah. It was nice what Dave Richards said earlier about everyone in the office knowing about it. He was quite surprised yeah. about that. Yeah. 
Yes, it was it was lovely, wasn't it? I was uh, we were fair chuffed. Um, I wonder if he knows that we. I think he'll listen this far, so he knows that we've actually mentioned. No one that listens this far. <laughs> uh, secondly, I would like to. Well, I put. I'd like to create a meetup around content, um, if I can find the time or someone to help me do it. I think what I really mean is I'd like to see a meetup around content, and the, the likelihood is that maybe I'm the person that has to make it happen. Um, but I don't think there really is one. At first, I thought it'd be a meetup around like copywriting and that kind of content. But my experience over the last year, uh, as a kind of self-employed, maybe the digital comms network is a good place to go and talk about that. Yeah, yeah, they've got a meeting later on. I think this yeah. month, which I need to try and try and get to. Mm. But yeah, so less less about kind of the copywriting side of content and just kind of people that make stuff that isn't necessarily like web development and that kind of thing. I can think of a few agencies in the city who'd be really interested in that. Okay. We should talk. We should set up a meeting or something. We should. <laughs> um, and then finally, because I had to think of one quickly, uh, for years I've wanted to set up um, uh, a, a website, a director website of all of Sheffield's libraries and kind of literary-based uh, stuff. I've done a lot of work this year, some work this year, um, on kind of digital skills and, and you know, social exclusion and that kind of thing and there is loads of access to computers and tech in libraries and similar sorts of places but if you search for it online it's it's you know it's government websites and it's just like a long list and I'd quite like to make something I've always wanted to make something that's just a bit more interesting and there's a map and stuff like that a map imagine in 2018 a website with a map on it um so yeah maybe I'll get around to doing that at some it'd point be nice too. if that was maybe associated with off the shelf or something so you've got more of a a traffic source yes yeah good point but... we should have a meeting about this Chris. <laughs> yes and you want to write a novel as well yeah, well there is the, that i know too. you dropped that off <laughs> yeah but that is a hell of an ambition isn't it? i know well, i've done it once i'm sure i can true. Uh, sure i can some, at some point find the time to do it again anyway um memberships we just want to obviously point people towards um uh sheffield digital sheffield digital uh man <laughs> still still can't say it can you <laughs> months later um uh, yep, Sheffield Digital membership. It, um, it it's oh, it, it helps us do the work that we do, keeps the lights on, all that kind of thing. It's a it's it's a really important thing, and we've had loads of people uh, become members uh, over 2017. So hopefully, some of you will want to do that in 2018 too. We have company members, but also for a five a month, if you're just a an individual person all on your own, then you can they can show your support too. Final plug for our sponsors, that's uh, uh, Shorts, Sheffield College, North Coders, um, and hopefully some more to come. And Benchmark And Benchmark, well. sorry, yes, yeah, sorry, Benchmark, forgot about that. Um, uh, so thank you to them. And, and finally, um, subscribe to the show. If you want to get this, uh, these episodes, go straight to your app of choice. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Um, uh, or if you use Android, we can recommend Pocket Casts, really good. Overcast for iOS is good. I'm sure if you listen to podcasts, you know all this stuff already. Um, and if you just want to find out more about the show, then you can go to sheffield.digital slash podcast. And um, feel free to tell people about it. Spread the word. We need to try and get to be the best podcast in the entire world. Maybe that doesn't mean it has to be the most popular, though. <laughs> Quick caveat. The, the best in our own eyes. <laughs> yes. And that's it. Until next time. See you all. Bye.